Welcome into the Wednesday Bible Study. We are so thankful that you are here. I'm Rick Burgess, director of TheManChurch.com and co-host of The Rick and Bubba Show, uh, the radio show, my day job. Uh, and we're in that studio right now, and uh, we have been doing this Bible study for a decade, uh, now over two studios. Uh, so glad that you are with us. Second Corinthians is the book of the Bible that we're running through right now. We'll be in chapter 9 today. If you want to turn to that already here in the room or wherever you may be watching this or listening to it, uh, to it you can. We're going to try to get the whole chapter in. I, I think we can uh, if we're good stewards of the time today and I don't chase too many rabbits. So so uh, we'll, we'll do that uh, today on the program. We have been here, as I said, for a while. If you want to see archives or hear archives from Bible studies past, uh, you can find those by going to uh, our website, themanchurch.com. Uh, just look at the media button right there. It'll give you a drop-down menu. You can watch them or listen to them, whichever one you prefer. Uh, and you can go back through books of the Bible, commentaries, uh, other books that people have written that we've unpacked in here. There's uh, there's a, a Bible study on just about any topic you can think of. Uh, but we normally do series, and we've been doing expository series for a while now. Been through many books of the Bible. You can find those. Also, we're a men's discipleship strategy. If you'd like to, us to help you have a healthy men's ministry, and your community, your church, uh, we're happy to do it. Uh, we have curriculum, we have resources uh, for individual men, and we have speakers. Uh, we are doing conferences now. Started that last year. Where our second conference is coming up uh, March 8th and 9th. We'll be in Startville, Mississippi at the Better Worth, uh, Bettersworth Theater. Uh, we only have a few seats left for that room. Granger Smith will be speaking, James Spann, Scott Dawson, Andy Blanks, and I, along with uh, Chuck Hooten leading worship. So uh, if you would like to be with us in Mississippi, March 8th and 9th, you need to move and get those tickets at themanchurch.com. Also, we just released a brand new individual resource, a 31-day devotional called Sin Always Matters. And we have that, The Cost of Sin and the Power of Grace. Um, uh, just to kind of put it in a nutshell, if we don't understand how God sees sin, not how we see it, how God sees sin, if we don't get that and he's not silent on it, we'll always cheapen grace. Uh, so, so look for that uh, at themanchurch.com. You can get it at burgessministries.com, or I think it is on Amazon now as well. So uh, let's open in a word of prayer, and let's jump into 2 Corinthians chapter 9. Lord, thank you for today. Thank you for the opportunity uh, to unpack your holy word. Guide us through the power of the Holy Spirit, uh, and may we glean from this everything that you intend. In the glorious name of Jesus, we pray. Amen. All right, so let's uh, let's get started. Paul is still talking about giving. Sorry, guys, uh, but we're going through this verse by verse. I know some of you would like for Paul to let up just a little bit on giving, but he's going to double down uh, even more uh, in in chapter nine. Uh, it's going to be another exhortation. He's going to start talking now. If you, if you missed last week uh, and you haven't caught the archive, uh, he he is very much uh, trying to go back to the church at Corinth, and he's trying to remind them that they made a pledge uh, to give a sizable gift uh, to the church in Jerusalem, but they haven't given it. And we found out last week he's sending a delegation of three men. Uh, and, uh, you know, I will say this. last We were talking about who these uh, these uh, three men are. We know that one, one's Titus, and then the other two we're not quite sure. Uh, I was talking with my wife about this, and, you know, one thing she brought up when I look back, we were kind of describing this guy. Uh, that, that, that you know, we don't know who he is. Uh, when when you see it, and look, I know there was a big case made for Luke, and, and it may be, but when you see that he is a, a man who is known 
all over for his preaching. You know, Sherry brought up, so nobody suggested Apollos? And I said, well, on that characteristic you would, but I think when he goes deeper and they start looking for Scripture to kind of look at people who traveled with Paul more, uh, Apollos seemed to kind of fade away. But Apollos, is, is, a, is that's what he was known for, is being a great orator, so maybe. Uh, but anyway, uh, we, we talked about that. He's sending that delegation. He's going to reference them again. He's sending them to go get the gift, to go there, get the gift. He wants the gift handled before he gets there. And he talked about that a little bit, and he's going to talk about that again today. So he's going to now talk more details about that to the church at Corinth, but there's going to be a much broader commentary today uh, from Paul on how we should all be when it comes to our giving. And how many of you have heard the phrase, be a cheerful giver? Well, that's where this comes from. Uh, So 2 Corinthians chapter 9. So let's start. We start with a word that I know all of you have been waiting on me to try to pronounce. I don't know why, when we translated this from the original Greek, this is the English word that we chose. Certainly, surely we had others. But Paul starts out, and he uses a word, a superfluous. There it is. Thank you very much. I'm here all week. Uh, so um, uh, he says, Now it is superfluous uh, for me to write to you about the ministry of the saints. Now, what does this word mean? I know all of you already know, and so did I. But... Um, No, I'm a C student from Calhoun County. I had no idea what this word meant. But um, it it means I realize that this is not really necessary for me to keep going on about this. I'm going beyond what is necessary uh, to talk about this. Have you ever had somebody do that before? You're going, hey, we had the point. I I don't know why you're continuing to drive this into the ground. Uh, But he acknowledges that he is doing that, and he's not dodging that. Uh, He said, I know I'm exceeding what is necessary to talk to you about the ministry for the saints. He's talking about, of course, the church in Jerusalem. And then he gets into the second verse, and and here's what he says. For I know your readiness, of which I boast about you, to the people of Macedonia, uh, saying in Achaia, has already, saying that Achaia has been ready since last year, and your zeal has stirred up most of them. All right, so... Again, Paul is a great teacher. He's a very good motivator. And what he's telling the church at Corinth, I've been bragging on y'all uh, to the people that are going to come with me. So I want you to understand what's about to happen. The delegation of the three men we discussed last week, they're going ahead of Paul. Titus is going with the, the two guys. They're going there, and we told you all the reasons why he's sending them before he goes. And we hit all that last week if you missed it. He doesn't want anybody to think that he's been manipulating people, that he's part of this. He wants to distance himself from this gift. Uh, And so he sends them first. Now, when he comes to visit himself, he's bringing people from Macedonia and Achaia with him. So what he is saying is, I'm telling them that when we get there, this is so smart. I'm not saying that he's doing a sales job, but how many of you ever had a history in sales? we're always taught to what? You start talking to the person like it's already done. And now we're just getting into what we're going to do with what you're about to about to do. He's doing that. I know y'all are going to take care of this. I know it's going to be handled. I've been boasting about this gift and how you're going to give it and how when we get there, it will be handled. All we got to do is take it and go. Okay? So he is he's doing the foregone conclusion, don't back out on this again. And it's been about a year, they think, since uh, the pledge was made, but they haven't sent it. And, and, and they got it to give, and, and Paul made that clear last week. So he says, um, 
I, I, I've been talking about you guys and your zeal to do this, and they're really excited about how when they get there, this gift is already going to be ready, and we're just going to grab it and go because he's going on to Jerusalem to deliver it himself. But he's sending the three. Why? Don't make, I don't want to get there and this not be handled. So the three are going to be sure it's handled. So when he gets there, he really just takes the gift and goes on with it. So, so that's what he's saying. And he's letting them know that he's so excited about how these people that he's been bragging about them to, how they're going to see that what he said was 100% correct. Very, very smart on Paul's part. Uh, part. Uh, do, you feel, do you feel like that you can, you, you can be trustworthy like that? I mean, like, like if I went out and bragged on all of you, do you think I have, do I have any concern that you men in the room won't be the people I say you are. And, and that's what Paul wants to make clear. Don't, don't, don't let me say one thing about you and you not live it. And uh, so, so he, uh, he's talking about that. Uh, three, but I'm sending the brothers, that's the delegation we talked about last week, Titus plus two, uh, so that uh, our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready as I said you would be. Really, really driving it home now, and uh, and you know there's a lot of different ways, you know, to motivate people. If you've ever been in a, a leadership role, there's all kinds of different ways to motivate people to do the Lord's work. Uh, some of them, I'm just going to be honest with you, the reward drives them. That's how you motivate some people. They want to know what's in it for them. They want to know what kind of accolade they're going to get. They want to know what, what they're going to get in return. And if you can't show them that doing the Lord's work will somehow be beneficial to them, you, you lose them. You can't motivate them. Uh, and then, of course, you have uh, th- those that say I, that they respond to you clarifying this is, a, this is their duty. This is what they should be doing. Uh, th- they're motivated by that. I'm, I'm kind of in that camp. You know, if you want to motivate me, you show me in Scripture that God has been crystal clear on this. And for me not to do it would be for me to be in conflict with God. And that motivates me. At one time it didn't, but it does now. Uh, and so uh, Paul, of course, is, is more than willing to do that. But there are some people, this is how you move them. You show them clearly in Scripture, this is what you're supposed to do. It's what the Lord commands. And they go, okay, that's all I needed to know. Uh, and then there's some that are moved by the proper presentation of the need. Uh, and we've all seen this, you know, the, a lot of you, you remember when you were growing up starving children and, and they, they would show you this with flies all over them and all that, uh, no water, no food, uh, the, 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 the horrible pot bellies from the kids that are starving. Uh, and some people, if you can give them the presentation, the duty won't do it. The reward won't do it, but they're moved. If you'll show them that the need is critical, there's a real need for this. And that's what, that's what motivates them. So Paul isn't trying to stir them up to give. Uh, he's actually stirring them up to keep their promise. So this is a little different. You know, he, he's not starting from scratch. Remember, Paul apparently has already made the pitch, and they agreed with him. They just didn't do it. So Paul's presentation is a little bit different. He's almost going, I don't think I have to convince you about the state of the people in this church in Jerusalem already done that. What I'm doing right now is reminding you that you made a promise that you have yet to fulfill. So that's a different place. You know, sometimes I'd rather be in that place because I don't have to start over because you've already told me you would do it. So now I got to talk to you about why it's bad that you're not doing it. And that's really where Paul is. So watch him in verses three through five. He's going to, now he's going to 
going to really double down on what I just told you. Your past promise is your current responsibility. Let, let that resonate. Think about it right now. Are there things in our life, it might involve giving, it might involve mission trip, it might involve something the church needs that I said I would do, it might be a class I said I would teach, it might be the children's ministry that I said I would do, it might be uh, I I was going to go with the guys that were going to fix the widow's house, I told them that, that they could count on me, whatever it may be. If you and I made a past promise, it is our current responsibility. Because once we said we would do it, the Lord heard it, and 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 we should follow through. And uh, and and it's okay to even say, I acknowledge. I told y'all a year ago that I teach a class, and I've never followed through on that. I'm going to. I'm going to take that. I, I told you I would do it. You said you needed people. I signed up. I just hadn't done it. You know, I, I keep telling my family we're going to go on a mission trip. I told the Lord that I felt he was calling us to this, to a short-term mission trip. Still haven't done it. Well, you know what Paul would say? You're not off the hook. You said you were going to do it. It's your current responsibility. Might have been a past promise, but it's your current responsibility. Right. So, uh, so he says, then he's going to tell them first why he's sending this delegation. And he's pretty clear on why he's sending them. Look, look, look at three. So he says, but I am sending the brothers so that our boasting about you may not prove empty in this matter so that you may be ready, as I said you would be. What is he doing? Spur them on. Remind them of this. Hey, when you get there, I, I, I fully have confidence that you will spur them on, and I fully have the confidence when I get there, I don't have to do any more begging about this. And this is why I'm sending them. So if you're there and you hear this, it, it, it kind of reminds me back to speaking of the church at Jerusalem. It reminds me when we were studying Acts and we had the Jerusalem council and we had the whole Gentile Jewish thing and nobody could get it resolved and there was a lot of divisiveness in the church and, and Paul even tried it, Peter tried it, John tried it, and no one was successful. And then what was the word? Well, now y'all going to make us go get James. <laughs> And everybody said, oh, wow, James is coming. And what did they say when James got there? No one opposed him. Well, that's the kind of guys he's sending. He, he is basically saying, y'all opposed me and didn't follow through on this promise. The three guys I'm sending, I don't think you want to oppose them. They're going to make sure this gets done. Now, he's being kind by saying, I want to brag on you, and I don't want that bragging to be in vain. And when I get there, I don't want it to be awkward that y'all haven't done what you said you are going to do again. So I'm sending these three guys, and I'm letting you know why I'm sending them so that doesn't happen again. Have you got those kind of guys in your life? You got those kind of people in your life? Uh, You've heard me talk about it many times. I have a lot of men like that in my life. Uh, One in particular is Rich Wingo. And I have told you all before, uh, my wife has no issue with going, I sure would hate to call Rich about this. Because if, if someone if someone comes to me and says, uh, wing goes outside, I'll be like, and whatever the issue is, it is now over. Uh, and, and, and so because uh, when you send Wingo, that's the end of it. And, and so this is kind of what he was doing. So uh, I hope you have those kind of men in your life. Uh, so uh, verse 4, otherwise, if some Macedonians come with me and find that you are not ready, we would be humiliated. 
to say nothing of you for being so confident. Wow, he's he's not even now we're getting real specific. We are I'm sending these guys, here's the other reason, to spare you the embarrassment of promising again and not delivering. Let's not all be embarrassed. Because you notice he says, I won't be the only one humiliated. You will be humiliated as well. If, if, please don't do what y'all did last time, is what he's saying without saying it. Uh, and, uh, and this is another reason that they're coming, because you already have promised and not delivered. Let's not do that again. Right? You know, we have a um, – I'm not saying this is necessarily great, uh, but between Burgess men – if you are around us and there's a code that we share, if we feel like that we have been disrespected, we allow three. And so if you're ever around Burgess men and you pop off to one of the, the Burgess men and you hear, that's one, well, that's important. I, I had that happen on a, on a deer hunting trip one time with my brother. A guy was kind of giving Greg a hard time, and it kind of went over the line. And, Greg, we're just riding in the car to go and eat. He goes, that's one. And the guy looked at me and says, why'd your brother say that's one? I said, you don't want to hear him say that's three. <laughs> and uh, I said, he's not going to tolerate this. He's giving you a warning that you need to back off. And Paul is kind of saying, let's not have another strike here. Okay, that's been one. Let's, let's not do that again. Uh, okay, and um, so, uh, so then he goes to, to verse 5, and he says, so I thought it necessary to urge the brothers to go on ahead to you and arrange in advance for the gift you have promised so that it may be ready as a willing gift, not as anything that I, I, you know, he tried to pressure them to do. He, he wants to make that very, very clear. I want this to be a gift. I want it to be something uh, that, uh, that, that we should expect, uh, an accusation, okay? So, so when he's talking about that, remember he's making it very, very clear the three are going to be sent ahead of me. Those from Macedonia and elsewhere would be coming with Paul. Paul hopes the delegation will have everything in order and ready to go, as I said, when he arrives. Now Paul will deliberately, because he's made himself very clear. Now watch him right now. He's, this is the brilliance of Paul. He's about to back off. You know, if, if, you're, if you're really good in leadership and you're a really good motivator, you'll recognize, you know, when, when you're trying, what, what, what does the Scripture tell us about our children? Discipline them, but do not, do not cause them anger by exasperating them, right? What it says, don't exasperate your children. And there have been times as a father that I have gone to my children and say, hey, what, ju- what Dad just did right then was not discipline. That, I, that was exasperating you. And I want to I, I repent of that sin, you know, and I, I remember that. I, I remember so clearly uh, one of my sons one time, I said, is there anything, you, you guys are getting older, they were teenagers at the time, I said, tell me something I could do better. And I remember one of them said, are you serious? I said, I'm serious. And he said, hey, Dad, when you come downstairs and we, we haven't cleaned up after ourselves, the first time you told us that Mom was not our maid to put the stuff in the trash can, we did it. We, we heard you the first time, but you told us about 10 times and then you came back and told us again and you got up some more. Then you came back and ranted and told us again. And I said, that's what I'm talking about. See, that's exasperating you. You know, when you told us, we got it. You communicated it. So you communicated it very clearly the first time and we responded. 
So Paul realizes now, if I continue on, I've made my point. So now he's going to back up a little bit. The bottom line is, I'm sending three guys there to make sure y'all keep your promise, and when I get there, I expect the gift to be ready to go. He's made his point. So now he's going to back off a little bit. Uh, he said what needs to be said. Not going to go any further. Uh, and he don't want them to feel pressured. Uh, he, he, he's not, he's going to kind of back off a little bit on being heavy-handed. And you know why? The bottom line he's wanting to make clear is he wants this gift to be of their free will. He realizes right now, if I if I take a, if I take another step on, on the route I'm going, and I don't back off, I don't want them to give it because they're, they're because they're afraid of these men. I don't want them to give it because they feel pressured by me. I still want this to be free will. I've made the point that they should do it, but I want them to do it of their own free will. So promises remembered is what he's going to, to just talked about. Now he's going to go to the principle of it all. Let's, let's review why y'all need to keep this promise. Okay. And see, that's a good teacher. That, that, that's, that's great. So let's look at what he says in verse six. The point is this, whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. And whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. So now be careful because our health, wealth, and prosperity folks love this kind of stuff, but we got to be clear. Uh, Paul is using an agricultural analogy, and he says, you know, a farmer who tries to cut corners uh, when they're looking for a harvest, you know, you, you, you ever been there going, I know what I need to do to get the product the way I want it or to get the reward. I'm just not willing to put that kind of time and effort in. And so... Paul is saying, y'all, we're going to give a, gig, give a big gift. If you try to cut corners on this, you'll, you will not see the blessing that you, that you would have seen if, and if, you, if you back off on what we're doing. This gift is large. This gift is sacrificial for y'all. God's going to honor that. So I'm reminding you again, you want to keep that promise also because you don't want to be like some farmer who tried to cut a corner and then expected a harvest to be bountiful. It won't be. Uh, he can't cut those kind of corners. So if you're looking for the harvest from this gift, uh, then make sure the gift is not sparse. Uh, if you, Listen to this. This was something in John Phillips. This comes from John Phillips' commentary. If you got stuff to write with, here's a good, here's a good one, okay? Withholding what is rightfully God's. If we withhold what rightfully belongs to God, that is the biggest mistake you could ever make, and that's no place to start saving. If you think to yourself, hey, we, we need to cut down on something in this house. We got too much money going out. Well, then cut the stuff that don't belong to God. He said, if you decide to start cutting where it belongs to God anyway, and, you, and your cut is to be disobedient to God, that's no place to start saving. That, that saving will come back to haunt you. He says, so we, we must guard against giving in in order to get. He also says, don't do this. Don't, don't let it be about you. I'm giving so I can get something from God. The truth does remain that the Lord will, you know, he, 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 he will honor this, but the blessings may come from you seeing people come to Christ. It, it doesn't mean financial blessing. Might be. I, I promise you this. I will tell you this, and I won't apologize for this at all. This is not false theology. This is not health, wealth, and prosperity gospel. The scriptures do tell us this. If you and I belong to God, he may not always provide our wants, 
but he will always provide our needs. Always. Jesus said that. He said his children don't go hungry. We're going to eat. We're going to have somewhere. We're going to have a roof over our head. We're going to have clothes. Okay, I was, I was talking to somebody about that just uh, that was upset the uh, other day, and I said, do you belong to Christ? Yeah. I said, he, he's going to take care of your needs. I promise you. You always have faith in that. But here's the other thing. We will never, ever, ever be in a position where we can look at the Lord and find him in debt to us. Well, you know, you owe me for that. He's not a debtor to any man, and, and you were never going to find that. So now Paul is going to go in verse 7. He says, so we know this agricultural analogy I've given you. We know all this to be true, but now I'm going to quote a spiritual fact. Verse 7, here's a spiritual fact. Each one must give as, as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. This is where I spent a lot of time this week, men, as your teacher, asking myself a very hard question, am I a cheerful giver? Do, do I do it under compulsion? What, what is my motivation? I do give, but what's my motivation? Is my motivation correct? So uh, you know, I think we can all, you know, you'll learn in your sanctification process. I mean, look, when I first came to Christ, there was so many things had to be fixed. Even God himself said, look, we can't run all this list today. Let's just start with, let's start with, the, like I said, let's start with the easy one. Let's stay out of jail. Let's start there. You know, let's, let, let's, let's, let's get in line. But as time has gone on, now being a follower of Christ for 28 years, now you get into things like what I got into this week. What's your motivation? Well, I'm doing the right thing, Lord. Yeah, but why? Oh wow! So we're 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 now getting down to the bar- the marrow of the bone. Now he really gets in there and cuts now for us to be sure that we're still growing and we all got places to grow. And so he he says, does the giver give out of a sense of devotion to God, with grace overflowing, or does he give out of a sense of compulsion? I feel like God's making me do it. And he says the latter is not the way to go. Our giving, he said, it should just be, and I'll show you a word he uses here in a minute, which blew my mind. It should be out of a gratitude, a devotion to God. Because let's all just get to the the reality of our situation. Does God need our money? No. Does God need our talent? No. I've said this before. I, I think there's people, like in my own life, that are much more gifted at, at something like themanchurch.com, I, I, I honestly don't, don't – I'm not saying this. This is not false humility, which, by the way, is worse, worse than arrogance. I'm being, I'm being completely honest. There's no way I was his first choice. I, 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 mean, I think I was just the, the one who said, I'll do it. You think he couldn't do themanchurch.com without me? Of course he could. he just do it with somebody else. See, God's will is not something we have to do. It's not compulsion. It's not something we have to do. It's something we get to do because he doesn't need us. He doesn't need us. You think the revelation is not going to be fulfilled unless you and I do what we're supposed to do? It's all going to happen with or without us. You think he's not going to send, he's not going to go out and give everybody their best shot, whether you go or not? He doesn't need you to go. It's, it's, a, it, it's an honor to get to go. He certainly doesn't need it. And so he says, I want your giving to feel like that, not just the giving of yourself, but even the giving of your money or the giving of your things. 
I want that to be grace overflowing. You're being gracious to God's children because he was first gracious to you. And you want to be like God. Not in not his glory, but his grace. We don't get to, we don't get to share his glory. He won't share that with us. And so, but he says, so I don't want this to feel like I'm doing this because God made me. Uh, you know, that you, re- you you kind of begrudgingly do it. I hate to give it, but God's making me give. God's not a beggar. Let me be clear on what I'm going to say next. This is not me standing in judgment of anybody. But if you've ever been anywhere when I speak, now this doesn't have to do with money, but it does have to do with God's not a beggar. My time of response, I never belabor the point. I'm not going to cast God as a beggar. God has said the truth tonight. The Holy Spirit has convicted you. I'm not going to sit here all night and beg you to repent. You're going to have a shot to repent, but the Lord I serve isn't a beggar. So I don't want to try to manipulate you. Let's go one more round. One more round. Anybody else? What? I do what I think the Holy Spirit says, and I shut it down. And if you didn't respond, you may respond another way, but you know I don't even have to know about it. But I don't like when people kind of cast God like he's some beggar. Here's the truth. This is who he is. This is who we are. Repent. And here's an opportunity to repent. But I'm not going to belabor the point. And, and so, so he isn't a beggar. He has no need of anything from us. He wants us to desire to give it to him, not because he is making us do it. And, and, and we need to look at it this way. God doesn't need it, but he sure does love when we give it to those who do. I'll say that again. God doesn't need it, but he loves when we give it to those who do. God doesn't need food. Some people do. God doesn't need clean water. Some people do. God doesn't need clothing. Some people do. God doesn't need redemption. All of us do. So, so that's that's what he loves, and 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 he, he he it it does not. And let me be clear, none of this. There's a worship aspect to it, no doubt about that, and we'll get to that. But we are we are not doing this because it'll benefit God. Who I hope I can get a hundred dollars out of Rick. I don't know how we're gonna make the budget here in in eternity. At the be- I'm the beginning and the end. What does Scripture tell us? How, he's got cattle. On every hillside, uncountable. But what he's saying is, it's not going to benefit me because I'm in no need of benefit from you, but it will benefit you. We are all robbing ourselves. That shouldn't be our motivation, but it sure is a nice byproduct that I did help this person, I did help that missionary, but you know what? Spiritually, I have benefited from this myself. And, and, and that is something that Paul is trying to make clear. Look at the end of it. We talked about a cheerful giver at the end of 7. For God loves a cheerful giver. This comes from Proverbs 22.9, if you want to write that down. Paul's quoting it. Did you know the word here, cheerful, that we're using in English? I love the commentaries. They gave me really I – didn't, I didn't think about this. I didn't know about this. This word is so dumbed down in the English. 
the word in the Greek that is being used here, a better translation would be, if you want to walk it out more than one word, giving with laughter or sheer delight. I'm giving so much, I'm just laughing about it. It's just flowing. You know, it, it's, it's, it goes back to this again. And we look, I've been there. I, I have sat down before, just total transparency, uh, with my number one earthly priority and us talking about, you know, uh, what we're going to do financially. Can we ever, if I ever desired to retire, uh, which I'm not retiring, by the way. So if you're hearing that in the headlines, that's not true. Um, but, you know, it, are we set up financially to be able to take care of, you know, our, our, our aging parents? Um, you know, we should be careful here. What about that? Da, 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 da. And sometimes we have honestly got down and I, and, and, I, and said this before, we've actually made the mistake of saying, do we need to kind of look at some of the giving we're doing? Do we need to pull some of that back? I mean, I'm not talking about the tithe to the church. I'm just talking about the various ministries and things that we support and do. And, you know, both of us kind of came to the conclusion, I just don't think we're ever going to get in trouble with God for overgiving. You know, you got out of hand on the giving down there, Burgess. Uh, so what? I mean, it, it, if, uh, it may, maybe, you know, if the giving means that we live a more sacrificial life, well, so what? I mean, uh, but, um, but this is what it's talking about, the giving. Now, I, I want to say this. We do have a responsibility to be good stewards. You want to vet out ministries. You want to vet out situations. You don't want to just take. Uh, you don't want to be an irresponsible giver. Because to me, that's also an attitude. And I've been guilty of this before, and and Sherry has talked to me about that before. I don't like asking other people to give. So, like, there was a time one time where there was a a, a couple that was serving the Lord, and all they wanted us to do is try to find some other people to help get them to a number they needed to get to, and I just gave the whole number. And she was like, did you even bother to ask anyone? I said, I don't want to ask other people. She goes, well, you just kind of recklessly threw that out there without even talking to me. You didn't. Maybe it was better to include more people for their benefit, and also that would free us up to be able to do some other things. You, you did that out of compulsion, not from the Lord, because you just tried to get it off your plate. The easiest thing to do is just give these people the check and be done with it. That's not really worshipful. That was you trying to get something off your plate. And she was right. I said, you're right. That, that wasn't the way to handle that. I, she said, I don't even mind that you gave the whole number. I don't like the way you did it. And she was right. It was just it would be the simplest thing for me to do right now to end this situation is just say, I'll just give you what you need. I didn't want to deal with having to go find money, find other people, get more people involved, set up some banquet, have people over the house. I didn't want to do any of that. And God may have still come to that same conclusion, but I should have checked with him and her first. So we do need to be good stewards of it, okay, and, and not just be recklessly giving. But when the giving comes, we don't begrudgingly give. We should be doing it laughing and celebrating. It should be delightful to give. And I've never met a big giver that wasn't delightful. They're wonderful people. Now, the people that squeeze and squeeze and squeeze on that money, they're not pleasant people. And, uh, and, and y'all probably are like me. I don't deal with those people very long. God's going to get what he needs. I was trying to help you be part of it. If you want to be part of it, don't be part of it. Now, there are times when people just don't have it to give, and that's fine. Uh, but, uh, but, but when we're giving, we do it with laughter and sheer delight. So verse 8, verse 8, here's what he says. And God is able to make all grace abound to you, 
so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. Wow. We're saying a lot here. He says God is going to lavish you. He loves a cheerful giver. And, you know, give generously. We are all called to draw something, okay, uh, from the bank of heaven. We, we will never be able to outgive God. It's impossible. That's what Paul's saying. He'll never not meet the needs of the cheerful giver. We don't cut back in this area of our lives. Now, sometimes we cut back. Being honest, I've been there. You want to cut back, and if you're honest, you're trying to cut back not because of a need. You're cutting back because of a want. That's different. Uh, it may mean that we are sacrificially giving, that we can't do or have everything we want. But God will never punish the giver by not providing everything that we need. And so that's where you got to be careful with this um, and, and because am I trying to withhold giving over something that is a want? Well, then that's a problem. We'll never be without what we need because God says that. And it, it goes back to what Paul's trying to say here. You realize this is God that we're talking about. And, and, and you're, you're trusting God with your giving, the one that makes all grace abound to you uh, so, so that you're having all sufficiency. You're, you're always going to be sufficient in, in all things at all times, and, and you may abound in every good work. Uh, and and he, he is saying that, that, that God is not going to refuse to honor what you're doing. Now, this is not about making God out to be some genie that if I he gives me three wishes because I gave today and I'm going to decide the things I want him to give me. That's not what he's talking about. He's saying God doesn't abandon the cheerful giver. He won't. And he's proven that to you. I mean, he, he's been nothing but gracious. He abounds in grace. And uh, he's not going to abandon us. And then in verse 9, uh, we're going to quote Psalm 112, verse 9. Psalm 112, verse 9. Paul says this next, as it is written, he has distributed freely, he has given to the poor, his righteousness endures forever. He, the, the, the word here is, uh, it really means helpless ones uh, are, are the opposite of rich. Uh, God cares for the poor. So caring for the poor is acting like a characteristic of God. Jesus made himself, when he was human, he made himself poor. And, and so to, to relate to the poor, one of the things he told them to tell John the Baptist, the gospel is being preached to the poor. And so he, the, the, those who give, those in need, they've done many, many surveys on this, and you will find those who give to those in need are much happier, joyful people than those who selfishly look after themselves. And here's what we need to know, and Paul's making this clear. God takes note of both the gift and the giver. God takes a note of that. Have you, ever, have you ever thought about that? And I'm trying to remember, was it the Amorites? You know, they wouldn't let Moses and them come through. I forget what group it was. When, when they were get, trying to get the promised land, they wouldn't let them have the shortcut. And you found much later when we get to David, God comes back to David and said, oh, you know, when they didn't let Moses come through, I took note of that. 
Now we're going to go destroy them. He takes note. Okay, he, he knows what's – is it the Amorites? I can't remember who it was, but it, it was one of those groups. But the, the bigger point is that happened a long time before David, and God, who, of course, doesn't answer the time, said, I still remember that, what, what they did to my people. I, it's, the quote in English is, I took note of that, and now I'm going to use you to go back and repay them, and I'm going to wipe them out. So when we're talking about all this and how we're giving and what we're doing – if we're in the category of we give to those in need just like Jesus taught us to, or we selfishly look after ourselves first, God takes note of whichever way that's going. He takes note of the heart of the giver, and he takes note of the size of the gift. Now Paul seems to continue with what is almost like an experiment, uh, for lack of a better term, He's going to say, put the whole ministry of giving to the test. Look what he says in 10. He who supplies seed to the sower and, and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and increase the harvest of your righteousness. See, now the health, wealth, and prosperity people would say he's going to increase the size of your bank account. He didn't say that. He says he's going to increase your the harvest of your righteousness, meaning you're going to see your obedience turn into fruit as the harvest, which he says is plentiful and the workers are few. He's going to give you a harvest through your obedience. You're going to see it. And I love what Paul is saying because he's going back to that farm analogy again. He says, I want to go back to this thing about the seed and the sower. He goes back, and what is he saying now? Don't ever forget who made the seed. God made the seed. So when you think about that God made the very seed that we are to sow, the whole process is a supernatural occurrence from God from the beginning to the end. He said when bread ends up on your table, it is actually a miracle of God. Think about it. What has to happen for bread to end up on your table? God created all of that. Y'all don't think it's supernatural? You take some seed and throw it in the ground, and then all of a sudden it sprouts and it grows into all this from a seed, and then we go through the process of how bread is made from the from the wheat or whatever it's made from. But he says, don't forget, you're, you're getting way down the road on where God is involved. God's involved in the very seed. So what would that be talking about us? Who made you? Who made me? Seed. So when, when there is a harvest produced by our obedience, he says, don't forget the very person that was obedient to God was created by God. He's in this thing from the beginning to the end. And he says, so don't ever forget that. Now look at, uh, look at the rest of what he's saying. He says, the more we give, the more we grow, this increases the fruits of our very righteousness. What he's saying is what we've been saying back, talking about transformation with Jesus. For us to not be transformed by Jesus is not a lack of the ability by Jesus. And, and so what he is saying here is, if you do things the way God said to do them, you will see a harvest. So if there's no harvest, you're not doing it the way God said to do it. He will produce a, a, a harvest. Is he the one producing it? Yes. Are we the ones that, that, that need to be obedient? Yes. Will he do it with or without us? Yes. 
Will he allow us to be part of it? Yes. Yeah, I, I don't. I just don't buy into this theology that somehow we we have a God that's this terrified of choice. <sighs> I can't even get out of the Garden of Eden without a choice, and so He's not afraid of it, and He certainly can forbid it, but He allows it. So, but He's still the one doing it all the way. It doesn't take away God's sovereignty. He's sovereign over this whole process, is what Paul is saying. And, uh, and he said, so your righteousness, your obedience to him, which he knew you were going to do, no problem with that, will produce a harvest. So then he goes on to say in 11, you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way, which through us will produce thanksgiving to God. He says the more we grow, the more we, we, we see God moving, and if we are generous, God will continue to make us uh, uh, abide in, in this giving. And the more we give, the more harvest we see, the more harvest we see, we, 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 we acknowledge watching God work, and that leads to us being thankful to who? God. Not us. Not the process. Not the strategy. You know, th- through what we're doing at themanchurch.com, you know who gets credit for all of it? God. We can't do it. We've never redeemed anyone. I can't convict anyone. God's doing all of that. God created every bit of it. So when you see something, you go, that 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 went well. You know what you say? Glory to God. You know, it, it's so because if we are if we're obedient to something that has no power, then it doesn't produce anything. So if I'm obedient to the power of God and I see God move, who gets the glory? God. It, it, it's uh, who was the first person I heard say this? It was so great. They said we as human beings, and I've said this before in the Bible study, but I think it's been a while since I said it, so some of you hadn't heard it. We as human beings, when we see God speaking to Moses through a burning bush, we tend to say, "Wow, what a bush!" And he says we should say, "Wow, what a God!" Because any old bush will do. So we got to stop being worshipers of people that aren't any good unless God was working through them. Any old bush will do. Everybody in this room can be used powerfully by God. Why? Because of God. Not because of you or me. Now, do people have God-given gift sets? They do, but you do too. But I will tell you this, God will honor a man that we may see, or woman, that we may see not as gifted as someone else, as, as we as humans. Be careful, that because human beings, our applause is all... I wouldn't really pay attention to it because we're very flawed. We get impressed by things that, that God really isn't impressed by. But I've seen people really... And a lot of missionaries are this way, and I don't mean this as a dig. I mean this as a compliment. Most missionaries I'm around are not very dynamic people. But boy, does God work through them. I mean, if they came to do a motivational speech, I wouldn't be all that motivated. But their obedience to God just flows, and he works, and he works, and he works through their obedience and their humility. They're always very humble people, and they usually are not trying to bring attention to themselves. But boy, are they powerful. But, but why are they powerful? Because of the God they're being obedient to. Most of them are not all that dynamic. And what we do is we want to see somebody dynamic and then find out they're living in sin. But they sure were dynamic. 
I mean, you go back to even Apollos. Now, he didn't do anything immoral, but you go back to Apollos again. Everybody was in, a, in love with Apollos before he even got his theology right. You remember Priscilla and Aquila had to say, hey, come over here. Man, you're, awesome. you're a great orator, but what the gospel you're preaching right now, you're, you're just a little off. Because he was new to the faith. He didn't fully understand it, but he was so gifted. Guess what? Everybody wanted to hear him talk. You ever, you ever seen us fall victim to put a celebrity up in the pulpit too quick? <laughs> then all of a sudden, next thing you know, they got titanium teeth, okay, and 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 uh, and and walking around, you know, wearing wearing a trash bag, okay. So so you 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 got you got, and I'm I'm being funny here, but but uh, but I'm just saying, just because someone is influential and gifted doesn't mean they should be given the handling of the word of God. Because what we need to be looking for is someone who's obedient to God, because that's where the power is. Okay, and that and that and sometimes you can on those wonderful moments you get both. You know, uh, Adrian Rogers, outstanding orator who was solid, solid, solid. Sometimes you get it all. Uh, but but anyway, so so um, he's saying the more we grow, the more that we we are we get, and the more we get, the more generous we become. The more generous we become, the more God moves, and the more God moves, the more thankful we are to God. Uh, he says, we get, we always, I love this, this is an 11B, we'll always get more than we give because watching God work leads to us being even more thankful. So we always give more, get more than we give. Why? Because we watch God move. God's always more than anything we could have given. God not only meets our requirements and multiplies our resources, he magnifies the results, and there's four ways that he does that, and we're going to look at that through 12 through 14. He's always going to be able to accomplish more than we could ever accomplish on our own. For the ministry of this service is not only supplying the needs of the saints, okay, so we know we're doing that, that's literal, but it's, all, it's also overflowing in many thanksgivings to God. He says when we take care of these people, they'll also take care of other people who will take care of other people, and we're going to equip them to do a better job in Jerusalem, so we're going to see this thing just multiply out. God will always do more than you gave because he's God, because we can't outgive God. We can't outdo God. And he said, so it, the, the first thing is simple. We see that the poor are relieved, and that's good. And and uh, but but he's he's comparing this. This is actually a priestly service. He says then praise is then raised, and and he says I want I want place your thoughts. He's talking to the Corinthians. I want you to see this, and this this was another big takeaway for me this week. When I'm talking to you about giving, I want you to see it on a higher plane. I want you to see this truly as priestly work. I don't want you to see this as some mild thing as I gave what I was supposed to give, and I gave, and I, I'm glad I gave. He goes, I want you to see this giving really is a very big deal. I don't want you to see it just as I help poor people. It's bigger than that. I don't want you to see it as I gave the church what they needed to make budget. It's bigger than that. I gave that missionary what they needed to, to, for their family to be able to get through another year. It's bigger than that. You didn't just meet their physical needs. You didn't just enable them to continue on. Do you not see that it impacts people's eternity? Get up here. Get heaven focused on this, Corinthians. It's bigger than this. Now do you feel silly for withholding this for a year? This is an investment in eternity. That's what our giving is. 
when we're giving to the Lord's work. And that's the reason why I, I don't give to anything that is not evangelical. I just don't. I mean, I mean, there's some good earthly charities and stuff out there, but I don't give to them uh, because I want to be investing in the advancement of the kingdom of God, and if that's not part of it, I don't give. You know, now some little kid come up here and needs something for his little league team, sure, okay, and uh, and 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 I'll, I'll usually just try to do. Can I do a cash offer? I don't want a box of fruit. I'll, I dread when that comes back. Can if you just need some uniforms here. But but on the bigger scale, it's going to have an evangelical, just like the Bronner Burgess Memorial Fund. If you're not evangelical, we don't give. Now, does that mean that we think it's evil to build a park somewhere? We don't. That's just not what we do. Okay? So so because I, 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 that eternity has to be there, and that's what Paul's saying. I want, you, I, want, I want your praise to be raised. I want your thoughts to be raised. I want you on higher ground. Always see the spiritual reasons that we give. Never lose sight of that. 13, he says, um, by their approval of this service, they will glorify God because of your submission flowing from your confession of the gospel of Christ and the generosity of your contribution for them and for all others. The, the, what he's saying is when they see this gift, they'll realize what you profess you actually are. What do we say with the life truth? I can profess one thing and do another, but I'll never live one thing and believe another. So what he's saying is when you actually do it, because at this point all you've been doing is professing that you're going to give it. You have it. When you finally give it, they'll realize that what you profess to do you actually are because you did it, right? Remember the story I told you? Unnamed person. Talking about mission trips, never forget it. And the person was doing what which was true. Well, I know you sent your kids off to a third world country and you and your family did this and you and your family did that. But I was telling my kids, we can go off to the ends of the earth. There's people right across the highway that need us in that apartment complex. Remember this? And I said, you are absolutely correct. So is that what you did? Oh, well, uh, I said, so tell me how you did it on the apartment complex. Did y'all do a, do a block party? Did y'all go door to door? Did you bring bottles of water with Bible verses on it? What did you do to go across the highway? Because you're right, Jerusalem just important as the ends of the earth. Did you get it? And maybe that's what you're called to. Did you get across that highway? Did you ever get across that highway and actually get in that apartment complex? And the answer is no. It sounded good. He just didn't do it. And so what, and it was really, then you look at that and you go, well, it's not really a commitment. That's a diversion. You're trying to come up with some reason you didn't go on the, the mission trip to the third world country, which you don't have to go. God may not be calling you to that, but he's calling you to something. And apparently you told your kids he was calling y'all to the apartment complex. I'd like to know if you're ever going. To this day, they've never been. And that was 10 years ago, probably. They still haven't been. So what he's saying is you promised it, but you never did it. But now when you do it, they'll know you actually meant it. How do I know what you believe? It's what you actually do. I say this all the time. I can ride with a, with a, with a man in my car. If we go to Atlanta and back from Birmingham, I'll know everything about him. Because he tells me everything he cares about. And I take note of what he never talks about. 
And then if later he says that's a big deal to him, I'll think, didn't seem like it. So, so that, that's what he's saying, okay? And so he's saying that, that the reality of your faith that you have claimed will finally be confirmed. Getting, getting almost done. We're almost, I'm going to get us there all the time. We're going to make it, I think. So then let's look at 14. While they long for you and pray for you because of the surpassing grace of God upon you, he said the prayers that they have been praying, that you would finally give this gift, they'll celebrate that God's answered the prayer. They've been praying for you. They're not mad at you. They've been praying for you because they know that, that you promised this and you haven't given it. Instead of being disgruntled with you, they keep praying for God's perfect timing. How gracious are they? And the timing's now. They're finally going to get this prayer answered, and, and, and they're going to respond with a prayer of thanksgiving, not to Corinth, but to God. God's going to get the glory because uh, he, 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 is, he is not going to share his glory with you. And he says, they, uh, he said, so what they're going to do is they're going to go to God for this situation, and they're going to thank him for the gift. Then he ends it with this, and we've got three minutes. This is our takeaway for the final takeaway. I've got a bunch of takeaways. And he says, and before you get a little bit foul, that this giant gift you're sending, that God's going to get all the glory and you're not going to get the applause. 15. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. He gave you Jesus. You got a problem with him getting a thank you? You'll never give a gift bigger than the one he gave you. He should receive the glory. I have that underlined in my Bible. Thanks be to God for his inexpressible gift. We can't even, if we tried, if we all went and studied every language on the planet, and then God came back and said, okay, are you ready to thank me appropriately now? No, no Lord, we, we look, there's no words. It's inexpressible. So maybe we should show him then how thankful we are because we can never express it. Maybe we should just show it. And that's what Paul is saying. He should get the glory because you're never going to outgive the gift of Jesus. And he gave that to all of us. Let's pray. Lord, thank you for today and thank you for the, um, the incredible message today. Through all this, and and I know I sit here, and I'm, I'm I'm even taking this whole week studying this. I've looked at the way I give, and I want to go back. And honestly, the biggest conviction to me is is to go back and really think about what I'm giving and why I'm giving it, and search myself and see if my motivation is correct. Is my whole motivation is just because I know this is what you said to do? That's certainly not bad. But am I, do I have that cheerful, laughter, and joyous attitude about it? I'm going to check on that. Thank you for reminding me of that. And thank you for the gift of Jesus. In his name we pray. Amen. Thank you, guys.